Our scripture reading today will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. This is the word of the Lord. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For if you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not and am and I am not weak? Who is made to fail to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. <clears throat> Thanks, Yvonne. Um, have you all ever wondered uh, how you might come across to other people? I mean, I have. I'm sure pretty much everybody has had that thought, right? Um, have you ever wondered how accurate that assessment might be as far as how you come across um, and, and depending on your personality, you kind of either have a low view or a high view. You know, you come away thinking, it's like, I think everybody really likes me. Or you might come away thinking, I don't think they like me very much. But, but generally, this thought is going to come upon us at least at, at, at some points in our life. Uh, there's, a, there's a blog, and I think there might be a podcast. Uh, y'all might have heard it before, The Art of Manliness. It's a good name, right? Uh, so they had an article about this idea. And, and in the article, they had, they had a grid. And the grid had three parts, and, and the three parts were this. The, the first is there, there's something that you do, and then second, how you think you come across when you do that, and then third, how you actually might come across when you do it. And so here are a few examples. So if you do this, in this example, withhold, um, withhold attention or interest, you may think you seem cool and confident, but you might come across others as uninterested, rejecting, and cold. 
Another one, if you do this, dominate the conversation with jokes and humor, you may think you seem entertaining, lively, and funny, but you might come across to others as tedious and draining. Another, if you do this, share more than others do, you may think you seem open, honest, and revealing, but you might actually come across to others as burdensome and inappropriate. Another, if you do this, share much less than others. You may think you seem in control or mysterious, but you might come across to others as closed, uninterested, or cold. So now, everybody should be really paranoid about how they come across. There's no way you come across good in any situation ever. Amen. Be encouraged, right? Uh, well, look, here's one bit of encouragement. That's a game we don't play as Christians. Like, we all go there. I, I do it. But, but, but that's not something we need to be involved in. That's just a game we shouldn't play. It's an oppressive and exhaustive way to live. And that's why we just need to live to be faithful to God. And surely, if we've offended someone, we should go back and apologize, make it right, repent, whatever. Uh, but we don't need to be too consumed with this idea about how we are coming across to others and managing what people think about us or even what they think about others. Now, y'all know as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, we, we shifted gears after chapters 8 and 9 were about giving, and then 10 through 12, or, or 10 and 11 uh, have a lot to do with these false teachers that, that, are, that are in Corinth. And so the Corinthians are drawn to these false teachers, and here's what we can kind of pick up a little bit, is that these false teachers seem to be kind of impressive. Uh, they, they seem to be sharp and, and really good communicators, and, and they're not speaking well of Paul. They, they, as they're kind of elevating themselves and boasting about themselves, they're kind of putting down Paul. You remember in chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Paul quoted them saying, uh, his bodily presence, this is the false teacher speaking about Paul, his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So, so Paul doesn't seem to come across well as well as these false teachers might. Seems like these false teachers kind of come in and they control the room. They're alphas, and then Paul just kind of seems weak. He's a, yeah, he's a big shot when he's writing letters, but when he comes, he seems there's not a, a, a great presence. He doesn't have this. He's not a great speaker, and and so so they're they're making the case that Paul is you know just not very impressive. He doesn't come across that great. And obviously, the irony is that Paul is amazing. Like, there's no one like Paul. And, and this is, here we are 2,000 years later reading his letters. And, and Paul doesn't want to play this game. So these false teachers are talking about their resume, how they're so great. Paul doesn't want to play this game with them because this, this isn't a game Christians play. We don't do this. We don't, we don't compare ourselves to each other like this. And when we do, we need to stop, repent. That's wrong. We shouldn't do it. But Paul feels almost forced to do it. And so he's going to go back to his resume. And, and when Paul goes to his resume, he often, he, he often uh, undoes it as well. Like in Philippians 3, he gives the, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews uh, speech. But then he, he, at the end of it, he says, uh, but I, I count all that as loss to th the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so he's going to do something similar. He's going to share his resume. Uh, he's going to talk about that. But then he's going to kind of shift to where he's going to be, rather than boasting about who he is, he's going to start boasting about his suffering and his weakness instead. So uh, in light of this, uh, as, we, as we look at this passage, I really only have one point to make, and, and it's this, is that weakness is to be embraced. So for Christians, when it comes to weakness, we embrace it. 
We don't try to hide it. We don't try to cover it up with bragging about other things we're good at. We should just embrace weakness. And it's more important to feel weak before God than to feel confident before others. That's a hard thing to get in our mind. And if we get in our mind to get it down to our heart, that's a whole other thing. But, but what would happen if you really did believe that? If you, if you were more concerned about feeling weak before God than confident before others, what would that do to your social anxieties? What, what would that do to your mindset when you're around others? What if we came to the point where we were less inclined to brag about ourselves and more inclined to brag about our weaknesses? So like I said, there's only really one point today, and that's weaknesses uh, are to be embraced. But, but what I want to do today is just kind of walk through this passage, and, and, I, and I hope as we walk through this passage, you can see that Paul embraced weakness. And this is really a, um, a, a two-part series. Uh, this part of chapter 11, and what's probably the most famous chapter in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, they're, they're kind of going to go together. So this is part one and part two. So I'll, I'm going to leave off a lot today that I'll bring out tomorrow. So uh, first, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 to 18. First, or 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen to 18. Uh, verse 16, I repeat, let no one think of me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. So, so Paul is saying, I don't, look, hey, I don't want anybody to think I'm a fool, but I'm about to sound like a fool. And the reason he's about to sound like a fool is because he's about to boast in himself because these false teachers are boasting in themselves. And he's like, that's foolish. But really for their sake, I'm going to play this stupid game. And so he's going to get into this boasting with them, even though he knows it's foolish, but he's going to do it in a sense as he's trying to get through to the Corinthians. So, but before he begins his self-proclaimed foolish rant, he says this in verse 19 and 20. He says, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. So, so what Paul's saying here is the Corinthians, these false teachers with the Corinthians are being really hard on the Corinthians. And it seems like they're manipulating them by being overly harsh uh, and, and being overly authoritarian, which is a mark often of false teachers, manipulation and overly authoritarian. And, and they, they seem to be speaking poorly of Paul. Remember, Paul quotes them in, in 1010. He says, they say, speaking of Paul, the false teachers say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no accord. It's the Apostle Paul they're talking about. So the false teachers, while they're likely being harsh with the Corinthians, are claiming that Paul is weak. And so Paul sarcastically says, to my shame, we were too weak for that. And he's speaking about them making, how the false teachers made slaves of them, took advantage of them, and even seems that they hit them. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so, so Paul decides that he's going to act like a fool and he's going to boast in himself. He's going to boast in the flesh. The thing that he would say, this is, this is something he should do, but he's going to do it. He's going to act a fool just so they can know uh, his, his credentials, I'll, I'll say. So look at uh, verse 21 through 29. Paul says this, verse, uh, the second part of 21. It says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, 
I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. The Israelites? So am I. Offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. <laughs> I'm talking like a madman, he says. With far greater labors and more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil, hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from all the other things, there's a daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I, and I am not indignant. So in verse 22, Paul says that, like, hey, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I'm the offspring of Abraham. And then in verse 23, he gets more bold. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. <laughs> and so he says that, and then following that, he starts talking, and he says, I'm talking like a madman. Because, right, this is the game that Christians don't play, Right? And so, and you might remember, he condemned this very action in chapter 10, verse 12, when he said, you shouldn't be comparing yourselves to each other. That's why he's saying I'm talking like a madman, because he's doing that. He's comparing himself with them. And, and how does he begin to make his case? He starts to talk about his suffering and his weakness. Just think through this slowly with me. Five times he received 39 lashes. Five times a grown man was beaten with whips. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, he sat there while people threw stones at them. Three times he was shipwrecked, and he spent a night and a day adrift at sea. I wonder what was going on in his mind, just adrift at sea. When we travel in dangerous places or maybe go on mission trips, we wonder if we'll be 100% safe. Before I go, I want to know, am I going to be 100% safe? Paul knew that his traveling that he would do, 100% not safe. Maybe not even a moment where he would be safe. Look, look again at what he says in 26 and 27. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Gentiles, danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, and exposure. How does Paul's life look to you? Does that seem like a good life? Would you sign up for Paul's mission trip? Would you sign your kids up for Paul's mission trip? Not if you haven't embraced weakness. And look, I don't think Paul liked any of this stuff. I, th I think he, when, when these lashings, these 39 lashings happen, I bet, I bet for everyone right before, he probably prayed, Lord, I'd rather not. Or as Jesus let this cup pass, right? And we'll get into unanswered prayer next week. But, but I don't think Paul enjoyed this, but I do think he embraced weakness. And while he didn't want any of these things to happen, he boasted in the things that made him weak. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast on the things that show my weakness. Boasting in weakness is, is kind of like an anti-boast. It's, it's an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or deafening silence. 
Boasting in weakness just doesn't make sense. But it does for Paul, and it, and it should for us. And, and here's the problem that, that embracing weakness solves. Our addiction to self-glorification. I mean, don't you just feel like how we're sick with it? Just that unending attempt to validate ourselves and to, and to grab onto anything that validates us and let that thing be known? And, and, and to, to, to reverse course on that and instead let our weaknesses be known? Do you have a tendency when you tell stories to make, to make them a little better than they really are? To make you a little better than you really are? Do you increase numbers when that helps the story or you decrease numbers when that helps the story? Or when, when you're in a fight with your spouse or friend or family member, uh, do you tend to show yourself in the most humble, greatest light and them in the worst light? Missy does that. I don't do that. I would never do that. <laughs> but, but wouldn't it be nice to not try to manage your image? To, to not try to convince someone that, that you actually are very righteous and good and, and justified and, and, and validated, whatever your sense of validation might come from? I mean, is that fun? Do you get joy in trying to validate yourself before others? Wouldn't it be nice to not be afraid of your weakness, your weaknesses being known, to, to the point where you can even embrace it? Instead of denying our weakness and inflating our strengths, what if we didn't flinch at our weaknesses, but instead embrace them? And isn't that how following Jesus begins anyway? In Luke 9, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So, so how does Jesus describe following Jesus? Self-denial, crucifixion. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to learn to acknowledge first our desire to make a name for ourselves, to be somebody, to find some sort of validation, to, to have something that we can boast about in ourselves, to have something that we're known for, to have something uh, that, that to, to manage what people might think of us. And we spend a lot of emotional energy on this. And we do this and we don't even realize when we're doing this. We don't even realize often when we are boasting in the flesh. I mean, most of us would never just think, hey, I'm just gonna brag. We just do it instinctively. And I remember I was thinking, as I was working on this message, I was thinking about the humble brag. Everybody knows about the humble brag, where you share something maybe online or with friends or whatever. And I was thinking about giving a, like a funny story about it, but I'm like, I kind of think I do it a lot. <laughs> and so I'm actually scared to say it because I think I do it so much, I don't want to embarrass myself even more. Because I think it's just so in us that we don't know how much we actually crave validation and how much it's just deep in our bones to let that stuff be known and to boast in the flesh. I think we're way more enslaved to this than we realize. Even when we're mindful of it, I don't think we realize how much we do it. And part of the joy of following Jesus is being able to lay that down, to, to genuinely not care about making a name for yourself and simply living as if Christ was all, because he is all. And it would be a privilege to suffer for him, to show his worth, to glorify him in such a way. 
I mean, don't most movies, you know, there, there's, a, there's a guy and he's rescuing the girl. And is it a good movie if the guy doesn't suffer at all, right? I mean, there's a sense where suffering can show the, the, the beauty and worth of an object, right? And so there can be great joy in Paul's suffering because it magnifies his love and his, the honor and glory of God. And look, Part of this embracing weakness, I mean, this is, this is what the, the gospel's about, right? This is what becoming a Christian is about. You don't, you don't become a Christian until you embrace weakness to a degree, right? Like, like you cannot save yourself. You, you cannot live up to God's standard, weakness. Uh, you cannot bear God's, God is holy, you are not. That requires his wrath. You cannot bear that wrath. You cannot bear God's judgment, but Christ has. He lived up to God's standard. He bore God's wrath that can count for you, for those who would believe and repent. And so the whole Christian life begins with embracing weakness. And by embracing your weakness and inability to get right with God, that's how you actually get right with God, through the work of Christ. No one is right with God who has not embraced that they cannot get right with God because they are too weak to do it in themselves and must trust wholly and completely on the work of Christ. And look, it's not just that way with salvation. It's everything after. You don't do anything significant apart from Christ. You don't do anything that matters apart from Christ. It's a bold statement, right? It's a bold statement that Jesus made in John 15, 5. He said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And here it comes. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You don't bear fruit until you embrace weakness. You don't bear fruit. You don't do anything until you learn to embrace your weakness. That apart from Christ, you can't save yourself. And apart from Christ, you cannot bear fruit. Do you want to bear fruit in your life? Then you must embrace your weakness that you cannot do that apart from Christ, apart from the vine. Ultimately, we need to come to terms with what our life is going to be about. Are we going to live for Christ and whatever sufferings that might bring about? Or are we going to make a name for ourselves? Are we going to manage how we come across to other people? Now, how would you respond if your child grew up to be a missionary in a foreign land and you would almost never see him again and you would be virtually unknown to your grandchildren? Would you be for it? Would you be for that? Or would you rather them stay back and live a good normal life? Just be good folks, Christian folks, and just stay here. What if you knew that when they went over, they would suffer? And what if you knew your child, rather than living to, to a nice old age, uh, would, would die in their 30s as a minister of the gospel? Would you be, would you be for that? I mean, certainly no one wishes their child to die, but for the sake of the glory of God and the mission of Christ. I want to read a letter from about 200 years ago that a father received from a young man who wanted to marry his daughter. Now, the catch is this young man wanted to be a missionary in India. His name was Adoniram Judson. Many of you have heard the name. And here's what uh, his letter uh, to the, the father of the, of the woman he wanted to marry said. He said, I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, 
whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Could you sign up your child or sign off on your child for a life of weakness like that rather than the good life? Maybe something a bit more normal, something we're a bit more familiar with. What would be a life better spent for you, for your child? Or has the status in the good life so captured your imagination that receiving a letter like this with a willing child that wanted to do this as well would be a terribly unfortunate letter to receive? Can you give up everything for Zion and the glory of God? You can't unless you embrace weakness. So may God help us to be a people who don't run or hide from our weakness, but instead, because of the gospel and for the gospel, may we embrace weakness and suffering that we might know Christ and know the power of God. I'm, I'm eager to dive into chapter 12. We'll talk more about this next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are weak. We are sinful our imaginations are captured by things that are different from you, your works, your kingdom. Would you forgive us of that? Would you forgive us for the desire to make a name for ourselves? And would you help us to deny, to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you? And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us the strength to do that. And in Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.